0: What's up, Salt Company Cedar Rapids? A pleasure to be here with you tonight. Uh, Yeah, made the trek all the way up from Iowa City. I'm from Minnesota, so it's nice to be a little bit farther north like you guys. Um, Yes, go Gophs. I did go to Iowa, though, so I feel like my allegiance is a little torn. A few things to know about me. Yes, I work for Salt Company in Iowa City. Yes, I'm originally from Minnesota, so I have a little bit of an accent that comes out from time to time, usually only... When I'm around other Minnesotans, or I say words that end in A-G, that is usually when you can tell. Um, I'm 5'11 and three quarters. I tell people I'm six feet tall. It's what my license says. But, you know, if we're like in the effort of being genuine with you guys, I figured I would open up with that confession. And also, uh, for the last couple years, I have lived with four dudes in my house. There's five of us, which gets to be a little crazy. Last year... We also had two dogs in the house. So as you can imagine, that would be a little psycho, two big dogs. Um, But one thing that you'll find when you live with a bunch of roommates is you guys all go through similar seasons of being into the same things. And so at the end of 2020, the season that we were in was we were watching The Queen's Gambit. Anyone seen The Queen's Gambit? Okay, yeah, so we watched The Queen's Gambit, we all got really into chess. We're playing it all the time, downloading the apps on our phones for, like, timers and stuff like that, trying to play speed chess, thinking we were, like, seeing pieces moving on the wall, all sorts of jazz like that. That phase ended, and then we got into the show called Cobra Kai. Yeah. Yes, Cobra Kai, great show. I grew up loving the Karate Kid movies. I'm not that old, but I stumbled upon them on some, like, movie channel when I was a kid, got really into them. So when I found out there was a really cheesy TV show about those movies, I had to watch it. So I started watching it, all my roommates also started watching it, and what we found was that as we were watching this show, we began to want to fight each other. <laughs> because the show is all about fighting, like school fights. Any instance you can just like start throwing punches, people are throwing punches. So even though it was like subconscious, it wasn't like we were actually beefing with each other or anything like that, but it was like anytime somebody would say something a little off-putting, you know, first move is to like roundhouse kick them or try to roundhouse kick them as though we could do that. So we got really into fake karate. Um, So it was a great time. Living with roommates was a great time. But one thing that I found that was really interesting about living with the roommates that I live with, it was like a little sociology case study. And here's what I found. The things that we were watching ended up being the things that we were into and ended up being the things that we were emulating. And so while the Queen's Gambit playing a lot of chess, which is probably good for you, and Cobra Kai fighting people with fake karate, which is still obviously great for you, while those are fairly inconsequential examples, it shows something about what influences us. As people, we find ourselves drawn to shiny things, right? The new, hype, exciting thing. The thing that catches our eye, the thing that we haven't thought of before, We are attracted to it, and we want to be a part of it. So oftentimes, because we're attracted to these things, we end up being shaped by them, right? Just like you know, we're being shaped by the Queen's Gambit, just like we're being shaped by Cobra Kai. You start to form into the image of this thing that you are looking at. And it's not just true about shows or movies. It's also true about the people that we're looking to the people who are shaping the way we think about things, the way we see the world. And as humans, we'll find that we are attracted to a few kinds of people. One, we're attracted to charismatic people, right? So people who like, can say things a certain way, who can say things really compelling or whatever, just people who can speak really well. We find ourselves very drawn to that kind of person. We're also drawn to people who always have like this shock factor, click thing to try and say. It's like the one-liner, culture, you know? Like, oh, you've never heard of this this way before. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so I'm keeping up with free agency to see what's been going on. All the time I fall for these. It's like, oh, you'll never believe who the Vikings are gonna sign now. And then I read the article and it's no new information. We're drawn to this shock factor, this short little title. And generally, we're also drawn to attractive people. Naturally, we know that's how it is. There are, of course, a bunch of other things that we're drawn to, but usually you'll find the people that we prop up that we're looking to are pretty good speakers. They say things that really draw our attention, and they're probably pretty good-looking. So we kind of gather around these kinds of people. It's why social media influencers are such a big deal. Right? They kind of match these characteristics that we're talking about. But here's the problem. We're so susceptible to seeing external qualities, external skills, as more important than internal qualities and internal character. Because we know nothing about these people, but we find ourselves being shaped by them. So the order and the world we live in of importance is skills first, character second. If you can wow me with your speech, if you can wow me with how you do things, I want to be a part of that because I want to be like you The character stuff we'll figure out. You can earn character, you can learn it, but you can't earn charisma. That seems to be the way that we view things. And that's also part of why we find that so many people that we prop up end up disappointing you, end up disappointing all of us. Right? It's like, do they have scandals? Do we find out that they're really horrible people behind the scenes? They like hit a kid or kicked a dog or something like that all sorts of crazy things from these people that we're looking to, it's not a surprise that we find that they're actually not these high-quality people that we imagine them to be in our minds. And yet, we are being shaped by these people because we're spending so much time looking at them, listening to them, seeing them, that we end up being formed into their image. We end up following their footsteps. And what we find is that while culturally we tend to be drawn to the shiny thing, and while culturally we tend to elevate external skills above internal character, we find that the Bible actually does the exact opposite. From God's perspective, internal character is infinitely more important than external skills. We see that all throughout the Bible. Is God using these people who have like stutters, who have disabilities, whatever it is, to accomplish his grander purpose when it would make sense that he would use anybody else? But instead he chooses them. Which is very, very interesting. And so that's the big idea of the night, is that God cares more about internal qualities than he cares about external skills. And that's what I get to talk to you guys about. We're going to be continuing on the book of Titus. going to be in Titus 1, 5 through 16 tonight. So if you guys want to get a jump start, flip in there. We're going to be talking about a group of people called elders. Talking about good leadership, talking about godly leadership. Here's what elders are not. Elders are not magical people who are hundreds of years old, who live in space, who live in the shadows, and who make all sorts of decisions about how things run. That's generally when you think of elders, you might think of like how you see them in like Marvel movies or something. They float on chairs and talk in hushed tones and whatever. So that's not what elders are. Elders are a group of people who oversee the church and make sure that you guys are being fed the word of God. And make sure that you are being shepherded. They are the leaders of the church. And because they are the leaders and shepherds of God's people, we will find that God is going to call his leaders to a high standard. So if you guys want to start in verse 5 with me at Titus 1, Paul's going to be talking to us. He's going to say, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and as I directed you to to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, and self-controlled. So this is going to be the first point of the night that we're going to see. God holds leaders of the church to a high standard because we will find that we will follow Jesus as our leaders are following Jesus. That's point number one. The way that our leaders follow Jesus is the way that we will end up following Jesus a lot of the time. So in March of 2020, I suddenly had an abundance of free time on my hands, so I decided I should probably start reading things in the Old Testament because I didn't grow up going to church, so I wasn't familiar with a lot of things that were in the Bible prior to the New Testament. So I was like... I don't know, I should probably read about David because I'm about to start working for a church and I've never read through 1 and 2 Samuel, so I started there. And then I got into First and Second Kings, and here's what was very interesting to me about First and Second Kings. Is you have David, and of course David has his faults, we all know them. And you're like, okay, you know, pursue the Lord, Israel will be blessed. Seems pretty simple for the leaders of God's people to do. But suddenly Israel keeps rebelling and they keep turning away from God and they keep looking to these other nations, other gods for help, for hope. And the reason that they were doing this is because that's what the kings of Israel were doing. Repeatedly, over and over and over again, the kings of Israel would look towards these other nations, look towards these false idols and say, I want that instead of God. And every once in a while you get a good king who would come up and he would follow the Lord and Israel would be obedient to the Lord and God would do amazing things to them. But it wasn't long until eventually they would turn away again. Because eventually they would get a leader who has turned away from God again. The people of Israel were following the lead of their king in disobedience. And so when we see that God holds his leaders to a high standard... We know that God cares about who our leaders are because God cares about our pursuit of him. He wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. And not just that we're following him generally, like going to church or being a part of a connection group or coming to Salt Company, which of course you should be doing all of those things, but following him in our hearts. Because what qualifies an elder, an overseer, a pastor any leader in the church for what they're doing are the very same things that every single Christian is called to. This list that we just read through in Titus 1, everywhere else in the Bible, you will find that these points that Paul says are also required of Christians, right? An elder must be blameless. Well, let's look at Colossians one twenty-two. It talks about how Jesus has reconciled us through his death to present us as blameless to him. You want to talk about husband of one wife? For starters, that means that an elder of a church needs to be a man. I'm not going to spend much time getting into that because I think Jordan has something in store for you guys with gender roles next week, which is going to be great. We see that, but we do see that he needs to be a husband of one wife, and we know that in Genesis, God creates them—one man, one woman. They are to be together if they're going to be married. Not polygamous, not open relationship, but a one woman kind of man. Faithful and believing children. Well, Ephesians 6.4 talks about not stirring up your children in anger and raising them up to follow the Lord. You want to talk about not being arrogant or selfish? Philippians two talks about how we should be doing nothing out of selfish ambition. You want to talk about not being hot-tempered, James 1.19 talks about being slow to anger. Not an excessive drinker, well, we probably know that the Bible says that, but let's give an example. Ephesians 5.18 says that we shouldn't be getting drunk. Not a bully, not overbearing, Ephesians 4.32 says that we need to be kind, compassionate, and gracious to one another. Not greedy for money, well, Philippians 4.15-18 shows the benefits of being generous with your money. How that's good for us to be giving our money away. Loving what's good. We see in Isaiah 29:13 and throughout the whole Bible that it's not just about doing good things, but it's about loving the things that God loves. That's what he desires for his people. And holy Leviticus 20.26 and 1 Peter 1.15 tell us that we need to strive for holiness because the God and Savior that we serve is holy. Every single thing that Paul lists here is something that every single Christian should be striving to be. We should all be striving to be godly leaders and there are so many things. But you get the gist. Everything that God calls an elder to be in the section of Titus, is something that he calls his people to be elsewhere in his word. So I want you to think about something. I want you to imagine that you have this big, square block of stone, and you want to form it into some piece of art. And in front of you, you have a Michelangelo statue, some like amazing, detailed, beautiful piece of art. And also in front of you, you have just some granite countertop with all sorts of shines and stones and whatever. If you're looking at the statue by Michelangelo and you're trying to imitate it in your work, you might find that you begin to form something that's in the shape of Michelangelo's statues, with, of course, your own personal touch, because none of us are Michelangelo. But you might find that you get a little close to what it is that he's making. But if you're trying to make the granite countertop, It will probably be really easy for you to make, but all you have at the end is a granite countertop. There's no beauty, no detail, no chiseling away, no refinement. A sculpture has details, and a sculpture has beauty, and a sculpture has been refined and worked on, and a granite countertop is just shiny. And here's what I'm getting at. As God's people, we need to be striving to imitate holiness, imitate godliness that we see in leaders who are following hard after the Lord. We shouldn't be striving to imitate flash because we wanna be like people that everyone else likes, that everyone else is drawn to, that everyone else is looking to, to be influenced by. The people who should have the most influence in your life should be the people who are running after Jesus the hardest. Those are the kinds of people that we want to be like. And honestly, this should also exhort us to be running harder after Jesus because there are people who are looking at everybody in this room and are probably being more shaped by you than you know. The block is being formed. The sculpture is being formed. And if we're looking to the shiny, worldly thing to guide us in this life, we can't be surprised if we begin to look like that shiny worldly thing. But if we look to someone who's been sharpened by God's word, who's been chiseled by the trials of life and is still running hard after him, we shouldn't be surprised if we begin to look a little bit more like Jesus because this person looks like Jesus. These are the kinds of people that we should be looking to because we will follow Jesus as our leaders follow Jesus. I think of Philippians 3.17 for this. Paul says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. So that's the first point. And I realize that verse 8, where I ended reading, is very much in the middle of a sentence. That's kind of how the people who broke up the verses in the Bible did it sometimes. But I think the purpose here is because Paul begins to transition into a new thought. So, if you guys want to jump into verse 9 with me, we're we'll going to be reading through verse 15. Paul's going to say that these elders need to be holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them because they are ruining entire households by teaching where well, they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. In fact, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And for this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. So here's me the big idea of this section as we're jumping into it. This point number two: a wolf in sheep's clothing is still a wolf. Somebody who claims to be following God but isn't actually following God is not actually following God. No matter how you dress it. So we see that there's not only certain character qualities, good biblical leadership qualities that are required of elders, but also that they must be saturated in the word. They need to hold tightly to God's word, which seems to mean that if they need to hold tightly to it, there are going to be things that try to get them to loosen their grip and look towards other areas of influence other than the Bible, But with this sound teaching, these leaders are to use God's word to encourage us. And if they don't know God's word, the teachings of God, then they can't encourage us. So if you see people saying things about God that aren't in the Bible, that contradict what the Bible says, do not listen to them. Regardless of if they say they're Christians or not. Regardless of if they say they are pastors or not. If it's not in the Bible, do not listen to them. Because Paul says that there's another reason that Christian leaders need to be holding tightly to the sound teaching of the Bible. And that is to refute people. To combat against people who contradict it. He then goes on to talk about how there are people in Crete who have been using a lot of words and are deceiving people. Especially those from the circumcision party, which does not sound like a fun party to attend. And here's what we need to know about the circumcision party. They were taking the teaching of Jesus, saying that yes, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved, but also you have to obey some of these Old Testament laws, right? Specifically relating to circumcision. So you'd have these Gentiles, non Jewish people come to know the Lord, and then these people who professed Christ would come up, claiming that there was just a little bit more that they needed to do to be saved. Right? Like you have it mostly right, but you just got to add a little bit to it. These people were adding on to the teaching of Jesus. They were not holding tightly to God's word. And so here's a scene I kind of imagine with these like false teachers coming in. It's like somebody doesn't know the Lord. Somebody who's a Christian comes and tells them about Jesus. They become a Christian. The person who told them about Jesus leaves. And then out of the shadows, there's this like sketchy looking dude who's smoking a cigarette. And he walks out and he's like, hey, pretty cool that you did that. But I bet. You didn't know this one last thing that that Christian didn't tell you. You also need to be circumcised. And we hear that, and we'd be like, yeah, sorry, man, not interested in doing this thing that you're saying, because that might sound a little ridiculous. But what Paul says that these people were doing is they were ruining entire households with their lives. And one thing we know is that in order for somebody to buy into a lie, it has to be believable. Something that is obviously a lie we won't fall for. So these people were ruining households, ruining families, ruining relationships. And for what? So that they could make more money. So that they could get a little fatter pockets all while costing somebody their soul. And this is really serious stuff. And we might hear this today and think to ourselves, yeah, I'm sure that that fooled them back then, but I know that if somebody came up to me today and told me out of the blue that I need to begin following Levitical law, I could spot a phony from a mile away, and no way would I be giving that guy my money. not going to believe any of this whack stuff that they're saying. But these people were fooled because the members of the circumcision party admitted that they were saved. Admitted that they believed in Jesus. Professed to be Christians, but then added a little bit to the gospel. And much of what they were saying was true, but it was the part of the story that was a lie that ended up costing these people their homes and lives. So as I was kind of reading this section, I began to think about the story of Little Red Riding Hood. You guys remember this story growing up? You know, the girl, red like cloak and everything, gets eaten by a wolf. So, let's do a little recap of Little Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood is going through the woods to go and bring her grandma some food. On the way through the woods, she runs into this charming, charismatic wolf that's sweet-talking her a little bit. Wolf gets her to tell her what she's going to go do. She's going to go bring food to her grandma. So the wolf thinks, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to get a big dinner. So, he runs ahead of her, eats Little Red Riding Hood's grandma, puts on Little Red Riding Hood's clo- or her grandma's clothes, sits in bed, waits for Little Red Riding Hood. The girl comes into grandma's place, notices the door is unlocked, which she thought was strange, but of course, ignores it, goes inside the house, and begins to notice that her grandma suddenly has some strange characteristics about her that weren't there before. She has big ears, she has teeth, she's hairy, all these things. Confused her a little bit. But the wolf was wearing the clothes of her grandma, which stalled Little Red Riding Hood just long enough for the wolf to eat her. She didn't spot that even though this wolf was wearing grandma's clothes, that it wasn't actually grandma. Because there was just enough grandma in the situation that the girl fell for the trap of the wolf and got eaten. That's what a lot of us do. Right? We buy into things that have just enough truth in them. And these are the very same kinds of things that ruin entire households. Right? As I was thinking of this verse, I was thinking of like all of the lies that are out there. It's like, well, God loves us and wants good things for us. So surely his will for my life is to be happy and blessed with material things, even though we might know that for most of us in this room, that would be horrible for us. Or God loves me and wants good things for me, so he doesn't care who I love or who I date or who I sleep with or who I marry. Because God is love. Or God loves me and wants good things for me, so surely he wants me to have total freedom. Because a loving God lets the object of his affection be free. Do you see it? Do you see how half of that statement is true? God loves you and he wants good things for me. That's true, but every other half of the example is absolutely not true. And that's what so many of these false teachings out there do. Half the truth, half the lie. But that lie is enough to get somebody to completely misunderstand the gospel of Jesus and not follow him at all. And to add something on top of it. So these false teachers, they love to take things that are true about God and twist the implications into being something that leads us into sin, which is exactly what the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. And that's how false teachers are able to make all this money that Paul talks about because they tell us the things that our sinful flesh wants to hear. Right? You want to earn your salvation? Totally. Here's how you can do it. You want to have sexual freedom? Totally. Here's how you can do it. You want to make a ton of money and not feel bad about keeping it all not being generous with what God's given you? Totally. Here's how you can do it. You want to harbor that bitterness towards your roommate or towards that neighbor of yours? Totally. Here's how you can do it. It's what sin does. And the problem with these things is that they will literally kill us. Because a wolf in sheep's clothing is still a wolf. A wolf in grandma's clothing is not our grandma. It's still a wolf. It's going to kill you if you let it. So what do we do? Well, I didn't recall this part of the Little Red Riding Hood story, but as I was reading it, I think it... Fits pretty well. So let's continue on. After the wolf eats the granddaughter, eats Little Red Riding Hood, he's minding his own business, sleeping, taking a nap, starts snoring, and a huntsman walks by, hears the snoring, wonders, I wonder if grandma needs anything, goes inside, sees the wolf, is about to kill the wolf, and then thinks to himself, I wonder if this wolf ate the grandma. So he takes a pair of scissors, cuts the wolf open, Little Red Riding Hood and the grandma fall out, they're still alive. No, it's a fairy tale. Here's the takeaway of the story. There are tons of wolves out there that want to deceive us, and if we're being honest with ourselves, very easily can. We are very easily deceived, more than we would want to admit. And if they succeed in doing that, we will find that it might just cost us our lives. But the leaders of the church, the elders, even the salt company leaders... You guys are God's appointed huntsmen to protect people from wolves. To protect people from these things that seek to kill them. And as God's appointed huntsmen, they are to protect God's flock. Silencing the mouths of the wolves by showing how they were deceiving the people and pointing their flock of people back to Christ and back to his truth. And so what's the application to this point? Really simply, don't listen to wolves. Listen to God's appointed huntsman in your life. Whether that's elders of a church, if that's the pastor who's a Bible-preaching pastor, if that's your connection group leader, if they're running really hard after Jesus, listen to them. But now the question becomes this. If I want to stay away from wolves and follow godly leadership, or if I want to be a godly leader and protect people from wolves, but wolves are hard to spot, then what do I do? How can I know if I'm looking at a wolf or if I'm looking at the real thing? Into that, we're going to look at the last verse of the night. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, They, these false teachers... Claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Here's how you spot a wolf. You recognize that a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. The character of a person who claims Christ is proven by the actions that they take. It's proven by how they apply the teachings of Christ. So how can you tell if a person who claims to be following Jesus is legit? Look at what they're doing. Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Carefully observe it. The actions of a follower of Jesus will reflect the heart of God that's inside of them. And really practically... An application here, be a part of the local church. Don't just attend, don't just be a consumer, but be really bought into it. Be a part of Salt Company, be a part of Connection Group. For the rest of your life, be a part of a Bible-preaching, gospel-believing, Jesus-focused church. Because you will not be able to spot a wolf if you're standing a half mile away from it. You gotta be there. Because if we are to carefully observe the outcome of their lives, that means we need to see what they're doing. We need to be a part of their lives. Because I want you to think about this, too. Paul says that the people who are lying about God, there are a few things. One, they're detestable. Two, they're disobedient. And three, consequently, they're unfit for any good work. And the Greek word for unfit carries this idea of being a counterfeit coin or somebody who ran for like an elected office and lost. So they're fake, they're not the real thing, even though they have the appearance of the real thing. But not just that, they're actually unable to do the thing that they're trying to do. It's not that they won't do it, it's that they actually can't do it. A counterfeit coin can't actually pay for anything. A candidate that was rejected for a position that they ran for can make no difference in the legal system. While they have the appearance of the real thing, and while they might even talk like the real thing, they are unable to do what the real thing can do. We need to be a part of it to know. And this is what we see Jesus' words in Matthew seven eighteen. He says, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Somebody who claims to know God, but doesn't, cannot do things that are pleasing to God because they're not a good tree. They can't shepherd the flock. They can't feed them the word of God because their desire is for something other than God. It's not just that they don't do it, but they actually cannot do it. How do you see if a counterfeit coin is counterfeit? By looking at it closely. How do you see if a tree is producing bad fruit? By being close enough to see what the fruit of the tree actually is. You need to inspect it. You need to see if it aligns with the teaching of the Bible that they are claiming to believe. So we spend a lot of time talking about godly leadership. Right? What does God require of leaders? But here's actually why this is so important. Here's why Paul has this in Titus 1. It's because God created the world. It was perfect. He created Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin came into the world Separated them from God's presence. You've heard this. If you've been coming to Salt Company any amount of time, you know that this is the gospel. Because then, throughout the entire Old Testament, we see people trying to work their way back to Eden, trying to work their way back into the presence of God. And that's what so many people in the world today, even now, are doing. We know that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. We know that death is unnatural. We know that sickness is unnatural. We know that poverty, discrimination are unnatural. You know, that pain and suffering and brokenness are all unnatural because if they were natural, they would not hurt. And because they hurt, we know that they don't belong here. And so we try to find these other ways to go and fix the problem. But the reality is that God sent his son Jesus down to live the perfect life to die on the cross for our sins, to rise from the dead on the third day so that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life and this problem would be fixed in eternity. But I think so often when we think of the gospel, we think of it ending at that point in time 2,000 years ago. But Paul writes these words, God has Paul write these words in Titus because it did not end when Jesus ascended back into heaven. God cares that we are following him wholeheartedly in the meantime and being fed by his word and being led back to Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus still cares that we are following him because he wouldn't do what he did and then just leave us on our own. Godly leadership is so important. So the application of this point is this is go to a bible preaching Christ exalting church with leadership that cares about you because they care about Jesus and imitate those leaders. Think of an article I was reading recently. A guy named Scott Hubbard says at best pastors are matchmakers between the bride of Christ and her glorious groom. This is what overseers, what Christian leaders are supposed to be. They're supposed to be matchmakers between people that we want to know Christ and Jesus himself. But in in order for our overseers to lead us, we need to let them actually lead us. We need to listen to them. We need to see the outcome of their lives. And if they're following Jesus, we should try and imitate that. And they're going to need some grace. We're not expecting these leaders to be perfect. Jesus died knowing that these leaders wouldn't be perfect. So give them some grace and don't have a critical spirit. But look at their pursuit of Jesus. And I would say, honestly, if you're here, you should be going to this church. Going to Veritas. It's a great church with really good leadership from people who love the Lord. And if you are part of a church for the rest of your life, and if that church stops holding tightly to the word of God, then leave and go to a church that does. Because if that church stops holding tightly to the word of God, you will find that you might stop holding tightly to the word of God. And here's the other personal application of the point. Make it the goal of your life, the goal of your life to run harder and harder after Jesus, seeking to imitate him and be shaped by his word every single day. Because obviously you want to know and love Jesus more, but also there are people who are looking at you and being shaped by you. In the same way that we are looking at people and being shaped by people, it's this continual cycle. And so in a way, running hard after Jesus is actually an act of service towards those around us and towards those that we want to see come to know the Lord. So Salt Company, Cedar Rapids, I would say for us, let's have a higher aim for the church than to just be an entertainment factory full of a bunch of flash. Let's shoot for holiness Because in that, we're going to see Jesus, and that's going to be really, really good. So, would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you that you've given us your word to be shaped by. Thank you that you've given us people who love you, who just point us back to you, God. We just ask that as we continue on with our night, as we continue on with our week, as we continue on with our lives... God, just shape us more into your image. We are this block that is being shaped and formed into a sculpture that, God, we just want to look like your son. And so point us to godly leaders who will point us to you. And God, make us godly leaders who can point others to you. But Jesus... Only do this if you work it in our hearts to do this. So we pray that you would. We love you and we need you and we are so dependent on you always. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.